what would you say to maybe like a millennial or a modern mind um, who's kind of skeptical about religious life and thinks maybe it would be boring or unfulfilling? What would you say to them? Oh, my goodness. I've never been bored a day in my life. This is Sister Nancy Ann Turner. For more than 60 years, she served as a member of the Congregation of Dominican Sisters in Adrian, Michigan. To some, she's a novelty, a throwback to a time when discerning religious life was a common part of growing up for young Catholic women. Like many of her peers, she joined the convent when she was 18. Sister Nancy Ann doesn't wear a habit, although she used to. In 1956, when she made her first profession of vows, her congregation had thousands of sisters. Today, that number is around 500, with a majority advanced in years. Things have changed a lot since Sister Nancy Ann became a nun. But what hasn't changed, she insists, is that inner drive that most people share, to do good and to leave the world a better place, that sparked her decision to give her life to God. However, I think the bottom line is we we all have something to do with our life. And we, we want to be our own best self, but we also want to give back, I believe, to a common good and to the welfare of all people. But it's in my bones. I'll, I will never leave it or give it up. But I think that, um, um, I guess that's all I'd want to say, that, that um, I feel blessed that I was called to religious life. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Find all episodes at DetroitCatholic.com or subscribe to Detroit Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Michigan Catholic Conference. Visit micatholic.org forward slash sign up to join the Catholic Advocacy Network you'll receive email updates and action steps to have your Catholic voice heard on bills in the Michigan House and Senate that impact human dignity and the common good. National Catholic Sisters Week began in 2015 as a way to recognize the contributions of women religious across the globe. Observed March 8th through 14th, the celebration honors the diverse ways Catholic sisters continue to make a difference in the church and in society at large. Women religious aren't quite as ubiquitous as they once were. In 1965, some 180,000 Catholic sisters served as teachers, nurses, artists, and caregivers in the United States alone. Today, there are fewer than 50,000, and a majority of them are retired. But back then, nuns were everywhere. At least it seemed that way to young girls like Sister Nancy Ann. I also had Agent Dominican sisters in grade school and high school, and they, they were very impressive. You know, they, they had lots of joy, community, um, uh, support of us students, uh, a sense that, they, you know, that they cared for us. And I, they, they, they really stood for something bigger than themselves, bigger than themselves or even just us. And that sort of intrigued me, you know, what could be so powerful to, ask, to invite them to give their whole life to this, to this church, to this, these children, to the gospel. Despite the caricature of the ruler-wielding nun who slapped Jake and Elwood Blues for their filthy mouths and bad attitudes in the 1980 classic Blues Brothers, 
The sisters who taught Sister Nancy Ann and her peers were anything but menacing. They were kind, caring, and faithful. The sisters would do anything for their students. But there were still rules. And when I entered, things were still pretty regimented. Um, there was authority invested in the superior. Um, but gradually, a lot of that rigidity and conformity um, eased up. And we learned to develop inner authority a, a lot more and to be our own unique best self, but still in the context you know, of Dominican life. But it's much better now with our major superior and our mission group and prayer. We help discern what our gifts and strengths are and participate in choosing uh, our ministries. Initially, like many sisters in her congregation, Sister Nancy Ann was a teacher. But as time went on, she discovered other passions. I was trained as a teacher and I taught, you know, high school, junior high and high school, a little bit of college for many years. And, and, and I loved teaching. But then I started getting interested. We were starting to expand beyond just formal education. And so I got trained as a social worker at, and an art therapist and, and moved to Appalachia in North Georgia, where I um, did art and art therapy with the folks there. And I loved, I just loved that. Then I got certified in art therapy and um, registered. And I moved to Washington, D.C., where I served on the psych wards of Walter Reed Hospital. And I, I, I grew so much. I learned so much from doing that. But eventually I wanted to come back to Detroit, the place, you know, Michigan, the place of my roots, um, which I did. And in between times, I served as provincial and as chapter privates a couple of times as to our Dominican sisters in Michigan. And it was a wonderful experience walking with our own sisters. Upon her return to Detroit, Sister Nancy Ann looked for ways to combine her love for teaching, her heart for the underprivileged, and her passion for art, and she found the perfect outlet. About 20 years ago, she founded the Rosa Parks Children and Youth Program on Detroit's East Side, an after-school program that uses art, reading, and creativity to help disadvantaged city youths discover and realize their potential. It began with an art studio and a library, but quickly expanded from there. You know, there's lots of things going on in Detroit sometimes that are hard for children. Sometimes children can't verbalize real well the feelings they're having or the, the, the fears they have or the anger they feel. But through the arts, they can do it much easier. And it kind of frees them up to be angry, but without being violent. And, and uh and then gradually I learned that almost all the children I was working with were plunking school. So we started a tutoring program. Then um, we started a garden program, the Rosa Parks Peace Garden, which helps the children be about creation rather than destruction and helps them work as a team, learn job responsibility, and also learn that food doesn't just come from a gas station. You know, you, you can grow it. And so... Um, we, and then during the summer, we had about we have a th three week all day peace camp where the children through art and dance and music and filmmaking learn all the different ways you can be a peaceful person and how you can be maybe even be an arbitrator or a mediator so that so many fights and killings don't always have to happen that way. Um, and we we do leadership. We did field trips. We anything we could do to enhance that child's possibility and stretch that child's imagination. 
and we did a mom's club. We do a we did a lot of things for family things too. So um, it was a wonderful experience, and it, it it still has good staff there doing that. Yeah. In 2020, the pandemic forced Sister Nancy Ann to take a step back from the ministry she created. But in many ways, her creative spirit helped pave the way for a new generation of sisters to take up the mantle of service to their communities. I come um, from a family of six brothers and sisters, um, and one of my sisters is my twin. So we're um, a larger family, and faith was always very much at the heart um, of who we are. This is Sister Felicity Marie Madigan, a professed religious serving with the Livonia-based Congregation of Sisters of St. Felix of Cantalus, more commonly known as the Felicians. By today's standards, Sister Felicity is on the younger side. Now in her mid-40s, she joined the congregation at age 25 after having earned her degree in medical assisting. Growing up, Sister Felicity, who then went by Megan, was surrounded by nuns. Her godmother was a member of the Sisters of St. Joseph in Concordia, Kansas. When they were freshmen in high school, she and her twin would clean the convent of another close family friend, Sister Leah Rita Hoover, an IHM sister. She would take us on retreats. She would take us out to the Ionia uh, Fair when it was when uh, in the summertime, and then just do strawberry picking and apple picking and that sort of thing. So we had a like this close relationship with her, and then. Also, my godmother, um, you know, everyone in the family knew her, and she's still even alive to this day and was very active, you know, in coming to um, my uh, final vows. Growing up, Megan thrived in theology class. She loved learning about scripture, and her family was always active in their parish. She had considered joining the convent, but initially put it off until a devastating diagnosis caused the thought to reemerge in her mind. My sister and I got her degree in, in June of 1995 in medical assisting, but the real um, key to my vocation story was at this point, um, my father became really ill with cancer. As it so often does, God's plan for Sister Felicity's life began to take shape in the midst of hardship. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so at that time, he really had cancer when I was 12 um, and went into remission. But it was actually in, in June of 1995, after we got our associate's degree, that his cancer became aggressive. So he went from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair to being bedridden in six months. So we knew that he wasn't going to be around for, for much longer, but it was um, probably a couple weeks, no, a couple days before he was to pass away, um, I had a talk with my father about entering religious life. Um, but my mother already knew, and she kind of gave me her blessing, but it was really when I talked to my dad about it, um, I said, Dad, I've got something I want to talk to you about. And he's like, what, Megan? And I said, Dad... I'm thinking about becoming a religious, a religious sister. What do you think? He paused for a moment and he said, I can't think of a finer thing for you to do. Her father passed away a few days later, but that wasn't all he said. That was the first thing. The second thing he says, make sure you do good, avoid evil and take care of your mother. You know, and that was very, very, very much a, 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 an important part um, of my story or of, of his wishes that uh, he wanted me to 
to make sure I follow through with. Sister Felicity did follow through on her father's wishes. She spent the next few years taking care of her mother while working full time. She went back to school, earned her bachelor's in human resource management, and started working as an HR medical assistant. And then she entered the convent. I didn't enter religious life right away, but I wanted to work out in the field, you know, have my degree and then work for a little bit. Um, you know, so I lived out on my own. I worked, um, I dated, I socialized. I did all of that, but I was still being drawn to religious life. Specifically, it was the Felicians who caught her attention. Um, and it was kind of like I fell in love with the sisters. You know, mm -hmm. they were um, Franciscan, which had a great devotion to St. Francis. Um, they wore the habit. Um, you know, they um, had a great devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Um, you know, they had a, a great devotion to our, to our Lady. And each sister had a form of Mary in their name. And I thought that was wonderful. So it wasn't long that I decided that it felt like I was being drawn to their community. Sister Felicity describes her ministry as a combination of prayer and work, a perfect corollary to the life of St. Francis of Assisi, whose charism the Felicians strive to emulate. She worked at St. Michael Parish in Livonia in youth and young adult ministry, and later at Ladywood High School, which closed in 2018. It was then that Sister Felicity and a handful of other sisters took on a new project at St. Jude Parish in Detroit, which they affectionately call Deo Gratias Cafe, which translates, thanks be to God. So, you know, we um, kind of gathered there at, at the St. Jude Ac uh, Parish Center and we started a cafe. And um, also they wanted like a community garden you know, where they can have fresh vegetables. And and then um, right now we're in the process of uh, of purchasing the building at St. Jude to um, have other services available. So in addition to the cafe and the, the community center, we have an art program. Um, we also have, uh, uh, within the cafe, we have um, like a library where people can take books out um, both for adults and children. And then um, we're looking at uh, developing a, a literacy center for both adults and children and taking over the food pantry, uh, which would, which will be a choice-based food pantry uh, for the guests that come. And we're pretty excited about it. So it's, it's a relatively new ministry. It was incorporated in 2018. Um, but we've come far and wide in the ministry, and we continue to be guided by the Holy Spirit of where He's going to be leading us next. Deo Gracias is a fitting name for the ministry, because thanks to God is what Sister Felicity feels for her entire vocation. I thank God each and every day for the sisters that I live with in community, because we are different, but we're united in our love and our and our commitment to to Christ. I think that's what makes us. Um, all, all unified as one. Ministries like Sister Nancy Ann's Rosa Parks Children's Program and Sister Felicity's Deo Gracias Cafe provide important services to the community that go beyond their roles as religious sisters. But being a sister, as both would tell you, is about more than just service. It's about another deeper reality, the Christian concept of mercy. My name is Sister Carla Reyna 
And I am a member of the Women of Jesus's Merciful Passion. Specifically, Jesus's Mercy. So we are a new community of women in the Archdiocese of Detroit. We began May 13th, 2019. And we are a fruitful outcome of a lay association called the Servants of Jesus of the Divine Mercy. Our spirituality is Divine Mercy and Our Lady of Sorrows. And our charisms are spiritual direction and holy hospitality. Sister Carla represents a new generation of women religious. At 35 years old, she's one of just three professed women, plus the mother foundress in her order, which is still in formation at the Shrine of Jesus, the Divine Mercy in Clinton Township. She joined the fledgling community three years ago and is currently in formation to train as a spiritual director, a big part of the community's work. Yeah, so our community, we live and we help run the Shrine of Jesus, the Divine Mercy. And so what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is we, you know, we wake up early, we have our morning prayer, community meals, and we attend Holy Mass. And then we go and we um, help to run the shrine. So that looks different from day to day, but basically, you know, we have a gift shop. We have Holy Mass and confessions on Fridays. Um, But basically when you come into the shrine, you know, it's a beautiful property. Um, There's artwork, outdoor stations on the cross, Our Lady of Sorrows, Rosary Garden. Um, So even just the property is like a place of peace and refuge. So when you walk into the shrine, um, it's very peaceful. Um, We open our doors for people to come in if they just want to pray privately. We have adoration throughout the week. Um, But we're a prayer ministry for healing. So we offer prayer for people who come in if they would like it. Um, But mostly we intercede for all of mankind, really. as a lay association and then for our community specifically as well. And so we offer daily lunch for people who are coming in off the streets or just volunteers or visitors, um, or we host groups that wanna come in, maybe have a retreat. The shrine, which was designated by Detroit Archbishop Alan H. Vigneron in 2020, serves as a serene hub of prayer and healing which today's hectic world desperately needs. But even if people can't stop in, well, the prayers don't stop. We have a prayer line that's um, open 24 seven. It's basically like a a voicemail. So people leave voicemails, messages, prayer requests um, from around the world. And we answer um, and we pray with them. But if we're, you know, if it's in the middle of the night, um, there's a, a prayer that they pray through the recording and then we'll call people back. But we get email prayer intentions. Um, people come in and fill out prayer requests. Um, just, you know, if we go to the grocery store, we run into people who ask us for prayer. Praying for everyone sounds nice. Noble even. But as a young person, Sister Carla knows her vocation is countercultural and not everyone sees the value. When she announced her decision to enter religious life on Facebook, 
many of her friends responded with sad emojis. She even lost a few friends who didn't understand the decision she was making. But she prays for them. That's her calling, she says. I knew that, you know, if I looked to other people to give me that approval, I wasn't going to find it. So it's like I had to be okay in myself with my decision. There was a time when Sister Carla didn't take her faith too seriously either. She questioned a lot in college, including God, but there was one question she couldn't escape. I remember in college, just, just silence, being in silence was like painful. And I remember being like, questioning, like, why, why am I running away from this? Um, and then the more like I realized that I was doing that and I was paying attention to it, it's like, I don't want to hear what's going on inside. And so I was seeking truth without really knowing it, but it's like I wanted to lay my life down for truth, whatever that was. It's a funny thing about truth. It tends to pursue a person. The more, you know, I I felt empty. I just saw or I just sensed the Lord, you know, waiting for that time where it's like, okay, I'm not finding it in the world. And he just came in and just, you know, showed me that he is the truth. And as difficult as some of the teachings of the Catholic Church were, and I remember just fighting them in college. It's like, no, you know, this is unfair. This is too rigid. And But just the more I sought after truth and the more I attended, you know, adoration, and sat in the silence, um, I just felt the Lord just showing me truth. And I remember asking, you know, what is sacred? And it was just like he retaught me what I had learned growing, growing up that I didn't really appreciate or wasn't, you know, really ready to accept. And she knew what acceptance meant especially in today's secular age. And so following that and, you know, coming back into the faith wasn't easy. I had to let go of a lot of friends and, you know, that was very difficult. Um, So that, you know, was dying to self, but just, I knew I had a choice and the Lord laid it out very simply in my mind. It was just, you can follow me or not. And it was almost like too simple. It's like, what? it's not that simple. Um, but really it was. And so the more I just like shed things of who I identified as, um, the more I found who I truly was in Christ. As a 35-year-old habit-wearing religious in 2022, Sister Carla's identity comes as a shock to many including those she meets for the first time. While people are aware none still exist, for some, it's a bit like seeing a celebrity. There have been so many encounters. It's kind of funny. We joke around. We're like, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, today. What's going to happen today at the grocery store? Because some people, you know, some people have like cried when they see us. When they see sisters, some people, you know, immediately ask for prayer or they just like start pouring their heart out. Um, Some people, you know, they, some people laugh or some people take pictures and it's like, um, 
God bless them, <laughs> you know. And so we say hi, you know, or God bless you. But yeah, it's honestly, we never really know. But for the most part, people are just so encouraging and just, you know, they thank us. And some people, you know, they they don't get it, as, you know, the same, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> While the ministries of Sister Carla, Sister Nancy Ann, and Sister Felicity are visible, though rarer these days, there's one ministry you likely won't see. There's the saying that you should pray as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on you. But then our prayer is our work. Hidden away from the world, while still very much a part of it, are the cloistered Dominican Sisters of the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament in Farmington Hills. There, nuns like Sister Dominic Maria St. Michael spend their days in community, heeding the words of St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Sister Dominic and approximately two dozen other nuns with whom she lives have perhaps the most important job of all, praying and interceding for the world. It's a task they don't take lightly, nor should they. They know the stakes. I feel like if you just look at our Lord and you see how often he went out to pray, that he spent the whole night in prayer, oftentimes, especially when he was preparing to do something like call the apostles um, before his, his passion and death. He, he spent the night in prayer, um, and he exhorted his disciples very often to pray, and he taught them how to pray. But most importantly, he gave them an example of how to pray. And so what we are trying to do as nuns is imitate his prayer, whereas others might imitate his good works more objectively, more outwardly, because everyone is, is called to imitate our Lord in everything he did to the, to the manner that they're called to. On a normal day, the nuns rise at 5 a.m. to pray the Angelus, followed by morning prayer and Lexio Divina. After breakfast and mid-morning prayer, it's off to work. Sister Dominic works in the algebra department of the monastery, where she teaches novices and other nuns. Then, midday prayer again with the Angelus and dinner, which most people call lunch, she says. There's time for spiritual reading, optional recreation, and of course, more prayers before an hour of silence and rest. After evening prayers, there's another hour of reading, followed by supper, a rosary, another period of recreation, and then night prayers. There is time for private appointments, but for the most part, it's a pretty full day. It's funny because whenever we're reading something during our meals and they, they talk about someone being sent to a monastery because their health was poor and they needed, you know, nice peace and quiet, we laugh because we know what it's like, what it's really like inside the monastery. And to an extent, that is a part of our reality. You know, we have placards on the wall that say silence. And we try and observe that. But we know, and to be honest, if we compared our life with life outside, it really is very silent in comparison. But things are always happening in the monastery. Um, we have a very structured day. Despite the full schedule, Sister Dominic and her fellow nuns don't have much contact with the outside world. And that's by design. So she was understandably excited to take part in this podcast. 
So I think that's something that really does go unseen, and that's part of the point of our life, you know, that we're hidden with Christ and God. Um, and the tricky thing is that if people don't know about it, well, how is it gonna uh, how is it gonna continue getting done? But it's hidden, so it's almost a paradox. It's hidden, but it needs to be made known. So that's 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 where you come in. That's where <laughs> you're being a gift to us, you know, helping to make it a little more known. The crux of the nun's world, to use a very apt term, is the cross. It's a sign of contradiction to the world outside, which sees instant gratification as a virtue and contemplation something only to be done when the iPhone battery goes dead. The nun's work, their prayer, is essential not only for them, but for all the world whose weight they carry, just as Jesus carried it 2,000 years ago. It's not just a fairy tale that I'm just here because it, it, it looks nice and it sounds nice and well, it just kind of finishes the picture, but I'm here to actually do something. And I feel like if our Lord was united to the Trinity as a member of the Trinity, if he was God, you would think if anyone didn't need to pray, it would be him. But he spent hours in prayer, hours. And so it's not just, you know, calling down God's grace, which is very important and is something, I think it's probably the first thing people think of when you're considering a prayer apostolate. Um, but it's it's communing with God and, and just sitting in loving contemplation of him. I think people overlook that a lot. And also just putting yourself in his presence in gratitude for his gift. Um, there are d different contemplatives, but I think most prominently perhaps St. Therese of Lisieux um, speak of things like just being a gift to God and providing a fragrant garden for him to rest his, his weary feet and you know because he's spending all eternity running after sinners but you know we present ourselves to him in our lives of prayer as offerings to him that he can delight in which again every soul is called to do but I think contemplatives in a special way and so apart from you know fulfilling the obligation of the church to pray in the liturgy of the hours um endeavoring to call down god's graces through the prayer of petition we also offer ourselves in praise and gratitude to god as um offerings in which he can delight and take pleasure in if that's not food for thought i don't know what is what would you say to maybe someone a, a modern millennial or a skeptic who thinks contemplative life must be so boring. Well, they just don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode has been sponsored by Michigan Catholic Conference. Visit micatholic.org slash sign up to join the dates and action steps to have your Catholic voice heard on bills in the Michigan House and Senate that impact human dignity and the common good. 